welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. I don't know about you, but I want to hear some mom moments. So I was out running some errands today with Joey, and I got a message from Joe on my phone. It's a video of Emma holding one of our two cats. And the cat looks like really unimpressed with the situation. Like really Uh like, I'm not super into this, but if I just stay really still, it'll eventually be over and I can get down. And Emma is holding her like a, like a baby and like rocking her and singing a song. And the song Diane was, I'm holding my little pussy. I'm holding- <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. So I like immediately send it to like all the moms I know. <laughs> I didn't oh send it to you because I wanted to- <laughs> Okay, but now it's you so have funny. to send it. I'm this gonna thing. send it to you. It's so funny. The cat just looks like, oh my God, please put me down, kid. And I was just like, oh, no, 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 pussy, pussy, pussy. And I was like, stop. And Joe just like sends me the like facepalm emoji. And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, says yes. But yeah, she just refers to the cats as pussies these days. Like that's just it. Not just, pussy cat, just pussies. Just pussies. So she's like, mommy, have you seen my pussy? <laughs> stop it. <laughs> How do you not crack up? I would die every time. I'm a hard time. I'm like, Emma, can can you call them kitties? And she's just like, why? It's the same thing. Like, they're pussies. They're pussies. Huh? Okay. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. So it's a it's a thing at the moment. Um, that's causing great like great joy in my life. Well, not to like ride onto your mom moment, but there. There's a song that Rini really likes called Pussycat Pussycat by Lulu Kids. Mm. But when when you ask Alexa to play that song, she bleeps pussy. So you say, Alexa, play Pussycat Pussycat by Lulu Kids, and she'll go bleep cat bleep cat by Lulu Kids. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then they, they play the song like with no yeah. bleeping. Yes. But, but, but Alexa bleeps herself. I just think it's so funny. So- What's hilarious is that, like, that song is innocent and pure. Yeah. One of my kids' favorite songs to request on Alexa is called Up But Coconut, and it is about exactly what you think it's about. A coconut up your butt? Yeah. Up But Coconut. Up your butt with a coconut. Like, that's the actual lyrics of the song. No. Yes. And that's apparently fine. Well, (laughs) yeah. What gives, Alexa? Come on, Alexa. (laughs) This is a short little mom moment, but I just find it very cute. She's going through a little like, she's not three yet, but almost like what I would call like a three-nager kind of Mm -hmm. thing. (laughs) She, whenever she, I tell her to do something she doesn't want to do, or she gets mad for some reason, we have a door between our like sitting room with the piano and like the hallway to our kitchen Mm -hmm. 
it, it, it doesn't really matter if you open it or close it because there's like a big archway like right next to it. Yeah. But she like slams it really angrily. And then she walks away with this like big pout on her face, like looking at me. But the best thing that she's been saying to me lately when I tell her to do something she doesn't want to do, or if I'm like, we have to like wrap this up now. She goes, mom, you cannot understand. No. <laughs> And it just kills me. Like the way she says it, she's like, you cannot understand. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in for it when she's a teenager. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Emma picked up at school OMG, which grates on me in a way I can't adequately describe. (laughs) But that now means that my two and a half year old, whenever I do something that he doesn't (gasps) like, he looks at me and he goes, OMG. (laughs) Oh, man. Stop. Those older siblings, they ruin That's it true. for the rest of them. Ruin it. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see uh, as she gets older if she maintains her sassy attitude. <laughs> it uh, only gets worse. Yeah. So let's get to what we've all been waiting for, which is FDR and the New Deal. The New Deal. Yes. <laughs> uh, so if you don't know about the New Deal, which this is something I actually did remember from from mm-hmm. history, is the expansion of government programs and assistance for for people, but especially for families and for children. And it happened after 1933. So prior to the Depression, people on government welfare programs were really stigmatized and looked down upon. Some towns would even list the names of the people on welfare in the local newspaper to like oh. shame them. Jesus, like sex offenders. Yeah, terrible. But during the Depression, welfare just became a necessity for many people, and there were just not good enough programs in place to keep people afloat. Now, I'm not saying that everything that was brought in was good enough to keep people afloat, and it definitely, as we'll get into, it depended on your race, ethnicity, class, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you were even deemed worthy of assistance. Oh, my word. But it did do a lot to help children and families. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Herbert Hoover before we get to Franklin Roosevelt. So okay. uh, Herbert Hoover in 1930 attended the Conference for Child Health and Protection. And Herbert Hoover in 1930, the depression was still young and he was like, it's fine. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> fine. <laughs> he he kind of like turned a blind eye to how bad things were getting for children and families. Mm-hmm. And he was he was like, oh, it's good for them. It'll it'll toughen them up. And and the Secretary of Interior actually argued in 1932 that the economic depression was actually good for children. Oh Give no! Give them a, a tough skin. They won't be so gluttonous. It's like what? <laughs> they were like, don't worry, it's fine. That's real like America for you. This is good for you. Yeah, you're starving. You're starving. Don't worry. That's good for you. I can't believe those ideals have just been like that. I know. They've just been around for forever. It's awful. I know. (laughs) But luckily, after that, FDR came in and in 1933, he was like, no, this is not good that children are starving. We need to do something. Yeah. So he really brought in the change that was needed to help children. So let's talk about some of the things that were put in place to help specifically children and mothers. Mm -hmm. So in 1935, there was the Social Security Act, which was like the new deals like it was like the next generation of new deal programs mm-hmm. so aside from the actual like 
pension program because it's the Social Security Act, right? That's Mm -hmm. what everybody knows it for. There were a few key elements that helped children specifically. Mm -hmm. So there was the aid to families with dependent children, Mm -hmm. which replaced the kind of very wildly varying state-based mother's pension systems that depended on what state you were in. So this program came in and put like a federal standard on the aid that families would get who had dependent children. Unfortunately, many people of color were deemed, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, they were deemed immoral. So they were denied aid. (sighs) I know. So it's like you got to, it's a lot of take the good with the bad for this. I just like, I, uh-huh. I don't know. Anyone who says to me like, oh, it's fine. It's not like everything is equal now. No, no. it's not. No, it's it's not. not because within the living time, like there are still people alive from that time mm-hmm. were impacted by that. And yep. their legacy has been impacted by that. Like that's generational. Ugh. Oh, yeah. So I know. angry. I know. It's like there are these systems are put in place to keep certain people down. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it also provided federal money for maternal and child health care for needy women and children. Okay. So this is the only federal funding for maternal and child health care pre the 1965 Medicare Act. Oh. And I want to be very clear that this was only for children and pregnant women. So young men, mm-hmm. fathers, they did not get healthcare help. It was just for pregnant women and children. Yeah. Only only pregnant women. Yes. Who cares about the other ones? Anything that was like, I guess, 16 or 18, whatever they considered a child. Yeah. Like from the moment of conception until like you become an adult, we yep. got you covered. Yeah. Then you're on your own. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, boy. And then this is really cool. Um, There was a focus on young people with special needs for the first time. Mm -hmm. Children with special needs during the depression were often like orphaned or abandoned because parents just did not have the resources to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And they would then become dependent on the state for support. Mm -hmm. So the Social Security Act made the welfare of these children a joint federal and state responsibility. So again... Again, before this time, it was a lot of this, like every state just kind of like doing their own thing. And a lot of it was very inadequate. And here the federal government is coming in for the very first time and saying, we need to have a standard that children are taken care of to like a certain degree. Yeah. Okay. Which had never happened before. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that it was that early for for kids who had special needs. Yes. Hmm. I don't know to the extent that it was actually successful yeah helpful you know in 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 implementation yeah but but it at least the legislation was there yeah well that's so good to start yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so in 1933 the children's bureau estimated that about 23,000 teens and adolescents were traveling cross country riding the rails and hitchhiking Oof. in search of work because hey. they didn't want to burden their families anymore. So the hope by doing a lot of this new legislation was we can get these children back with their families or stop children from leaving their families and just riding the rails and trying to like survive. Yeah. I want to go to something that's a little happier. Day nursery schools Okay, were finally a thing starting in the Depression. So um, they opened actually to provide unemployed teachers 
with jobs because you know a big part of the new deal was was creating jobs Mm -hmm. so they were open to give unemployed teachers a place to work but what it ended up doing was providing really high quality preschool education to children Mm -hmm. of all races and it set a standard for preschool education throughout the usa for the first time boom so that's very cool good part of the depression excellent (laughs) we like that Yeah. And then another great thing that we touched on before is that children, a lot of kids did continue going to school, even Mm -hmm. if they had to take time off or go part-time, I guess they were going Mm -hmm. to school through high school. Yeah. So youth culture was a thing for the first time. Mm. So things like dating, clubs, like the Boy Scouts, the Mm -hmm. Girl Scouts, 4-H, Young Men's Hebrew Association, Mm -hmm. that these were all like clubs that were geared towards youths. Mm-hmm. And then in 1941, the term teenager was introduced for the first time. Really? So that's right after the Depression, just oh, a couple wow. years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before that, it was just children, children and adults. adults. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was that late. Wow. Yeah. 1941. Huh. Yes. So um, there are really two schools of thought about the impact that the depression had on children and young people. One school of thought is that it left young people psychologically and physically damaged and scarred. Sure. And they were never the same. For example, your grandmother never taking anything in her coffee ever again, because in her mind, that's wasteful, you know, Mm -hmm. even when you have the money. Yep. And then the other school of thought is that it just strengthened their character, toughened them up, and it forged, you know, the path for America's greatest generation. Yeah. Which I think to some extent that that is probably true, but mm-hmm. I hate the glorifying of people's suffering. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know. Like, I don't mind if somebody who survived something terrible reclaims it in a way that's like, I feel powerful because I got through this. Absolutely. Like, that's fine. But if you're like, I lived in a palace through the entire depression and look at all of these people who struggled, <laughs> they lifted themselves right. up by the bootstraps. Uh, shut up. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> so exactly. like, those people are the worst. But if you yourself, you know, struggled and made it through and want to embrace that and your, your resilience, like, yeah, awesome. Good for you. You do you. Yeah. So as you were just speaking, I I remembered one of the other things. There are so few things that I remember about my grandmother. Like they're, they're, you know, because like I was just so little. But one of the other things that my my mom always reminds me of is anytime we went out to eat anywhere, if it was a restaurant where they had like bread at the table, if the bread was like warm, she would just like take it and hold it in her hands. Oh, like she just wanted to like hold the warm bread. And so when I go out to eat now, if I'm sitting at a table and there's warm bread, like I hold the warm bread in my hands because it's like, it's like comforting. You're just, and, it, and you're thankful. Yeah. And I think it, it's just like this nice little like comfort. I do it with tea too. Like anything that's warm, I like hold it. And I think to myself, like, I'm fortunate that I am here and I'm warm and I'm cozy and I'm enjoying this warm, cozy thing. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people who don't get to be warm and cozy. Nope. So mm-hmm. that is true. Yeah. And I always remember my grandma saying like, you know, what she would do for fun as like a very, very, very young child, which when you hear it now is terrifying. So like she would say, oh, like, you know, well, 
we didn't have a lot of money. So I, I loved to read. So I would go to the library a lot. So as a five-year-old, I would get on the bus in Newark and go across <gasps> the city to the library and get my books, you know, at like oh, five, wow. six, seven years old. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and, and that's just like, what you did. And I think yeah. now of putting a six-year-old on a bus in Newark and my mm. heart stops. <laughs> well, so, yes. I mean, for anywhere. Yes. Yeah. I think like it was a very, very different time and people had different relationships with one another, with children, with families. The cities were, were different in terms of like how developed they were, how many people yeah. lived there. I feel like if you are part of an immigrant population during a time, like Newark was full of Italian immigrants, right? Or, you know, yep. was there any other group that lived in that area other than Italians? Maybe Polish people? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say Irish, but... Yeah, maybe Irish. Like Boston was the same way. And I feel like when you live in a community where you are part of that immigrant population, like you just went out and did whatever, whenever, because everybody was your family, you know, like everybody knew everybody. Yeah. And the thing is, is like you and me, we're not the population that lives in Newark anymore. There's a different immigrant population that lives there now. Totally. I don't think that people thought anything about like seeing a six-year-old walking around. They just, that's what I mean. Like nobody's going to call the cops and be like, oh, there's a six-year-old by themselves on the bus. And, And I do think that part of that was because we, we were, much more self-segregated than than we are yes. now. So you had communities where like every, everybody was just the same. And right. so it was like, there's no reason to fear anything. I know everyone yeah. who lives within 20 blocks of my house. So, right. <laughs> yeah, um, it was just, I mean, even when, even when my mom was growing up, they would just take, you know, they would just take the bus at like at a young age. I just, yeah. I think it was just like a different time. And like mm-hmm. nowadays, if I saw like a six-year-old on the bus by themselves, I would be very concerned. I know. I know. Every so often in Boston, I see young kids on the bus, like, but usually they're in a group and there's like, you know, like three or four eight-year-olds and I'm like, well, that's a little different, <laughs> yeah. but but like uh, a, a six-year-old by themselves, I would probably question. Yeah. I'd be like, are you okay? Where's Do your you mom? need an adult? <laughs> I, I want to help you. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um. That's my story of uh, the the depression, how it affected families in America, and how it kind of spurred on the first large government programs and assistance that really invaded family life. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. It is definitely a really interesting time for sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing all the research into all the things. So you can find us online in many places. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, We are always at OPDW Podcast. You can send us email at OPDWPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give us a review on whatever podcast listening platform you use, we're always thrilled to get those. They really help people find the show and they just fill our hearts with so much love. Yes. And our music is by Theo Rosenberg. So thank you, Theo. Thank you, Theo. All right, Diane. Until next time. Remember, there are better ways to help kids develop a tough skin and they probably don't include starving or working in factories. Thank you.